Do any of you recognize the name Nathan Evans? So back in 2020, Nathan was working away as a postman for the Royal Mail, and quite literally, overnight, he became a global internet sensation. All of this is a result of uploading videos of himself to his TikTok account, singing sea shanties. One day he's working as a postman, the next day he's an online superstar, and a few weeks later he signs uh, with a huge record label, and a few months later he releases a rendition of an old sea shanty called Wellerman, which instantly peaked at the top of the UK singles chart, and it peaked across uh, many other countries uh, in the world. Now, as a result of Nathan's rise to fame, the last couple of years has seen a rise in people listening to these songs called Sea Shanties. Now, this may all have passed you by, of course, and you have no clue what I'm talking about, and you might not even know what a sea shanty is, so let me enlighten you. Sea shanties were the songs that sailors would sing as they went about their work in the 18th and 19th centuries. So when I was a little boy, I learned at nursery, what shall we do with the drunken sailor? What shall we do with the drunk? That's a sea shanty. And um, one of the, the, the great things about these songs is they're really catchy. In fact, once they get in your head, it's hard to get them out. And the reason they're so catchy is because they were often sung because the nature of the work of the sailors was, was rhythmical. So they would sing along as they worked along in the ships. Now, why do I mention sea shanties? Well, because I want to suggest to you that Psalm 127 has many similarities to a sea shanty. Now, that might surprise you. But here's the thing. Songs of ascent were sung by God's ancient people, Israel, as they journeyed up towards Jerusalem. Sea shanties were sung by sailors as they journeyed towards their destination on the seven seas. So so they're both used to help people as they go about their daily lives. The second thing that they've got in common is if you look at the theme, the contents of many sea shanties, they're they're just concerned about the everyday concerns of life. The the, the song that uh, led Nathan Evans to fame was called Wellerman. And it was about these men and a whaler men on a ship waiting for their supply ship to come, the whalerman ship, which would have brought them sugar, tea, and rum. Well, if you read through the Songs of Ascent, the striking thing is all of them are just about the everyday concerns of life. The psalm before us, it's about building a home. It's about going to sleep. It's about raising children. Everyday Realities, And there are so many other similarities between sea shanties and songs of ascent. Now, there is, of course, one and probably more differences between them. And it's this. Sea shanties were trivial in nature. They're just a bit of fun. What shall we do with a drunken sailor? The thing about songs of ascent is that they are songs intended to give voice to God's people's worship while simultaneously shaping and informing their minds and hearts as to how they ought to live their lives. 
In fact, if you were to look down at Psalm 127 in your Bibles, you'll see that in the title of it, it says, A Song of Solomon. This is the only song of ascent that was written by King Solomon, who you'll remember was the wisest man to ever live. And in fact, most of what is written in the Old Testament by Solomon, we call it wisdom literature. And this song is a wisdom song. That is to say, it is meant to help God's people live rightly in relationship with God in this broken and fallen world. And in this psalm, song, Solomon challenges us to live a God-centered life in all aspects of our life. If I could summarize this song in a single sentence, it's this, without God, nothing we do has eternal value. Or to put it another way, if you want to avoid living a, a wasted life, then put God at the center of your life and all of your life pursuits. And we're going to work our way through this song with three simple headings. Verse 1, we'll look at under the heading, without the Lord we work and watch in vain. Verse 2, without the Lord we worry and wear out in vain. And then verses 3 to 5, with the Lord, children are both a blessing and a protection. So look at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, now right at the outset of this song, we have this beautiful Hebrew parallelism where the writer says the same thing in nearly the same way to make the same big point. Without the Lord, you work and you watch in vain. In terms of the, the first statement he makes there about building the house, it's, it's worth noting that, see the word house, it's used in the original language in Hebrew in the Old Testament over 2,000 times. Nearly every time it appears, it, it like has different meanings. House can refer to a physical, tangible house. It can refer to the people that live in the house, the household. It can refer to your descendants. God said to David he would build him a house, meaning he would build him a huge offspring. House can refer to God's temple. And so as we come to this opening statement, unless the Lord builds a house, it could really be unless the Lord is behind whatever you're doing in life, building a house, raising a family, whatever you're doing in terms of your work, unless the Lord is involved, then what you're doing, you're doing in vain. It really gets to the purpose of our life, our, our life's pursuit. Is the Lord involved? The second statement, unless the Lord watches over the city, that the watchmen stay awake in vain. Security is a big idea here. You know, in the ancient Near East, if you lived in, say, Jerusalem, you took comfort at night that there were men who guarded the city. They stayed awake all night long, watching from the city walls to, seeing, to see if there were any enemy coming to invade. Everyone cared greatly about their safety and security. Even the pilgrims journeying up to Jerusalem for the festivals were always conscious that they needed the Lord's protection. And it's interesting, 3,000 years have passed since this song was sung by God's people in the context when it was written, but we still all long for security in this broken and fallen world. It's the reason so many of us lock our doors at night. It's the reason we've got alarm systems. It's the reason we keep our wits about us when we walk through the streets. 
But the psalmist says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And the point is, our longing, our yearning for security, first and foremost, must be found in God, who created and governs the universe. He's the only one who can provide eternal security and protection. And that comes through his son, the Lord Jesus, as we, we, we know in the gospel. But more about that in just a moment. So, so, so see these two opening statements. Without the Lord, you work and you watch in vain. And that begs the question, what does Solomon mean when he says in vain? Now, if you know anything about Solomon's other writings, he always uses this term, in vain. Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, everything is meaningless. Life lived under the sun, meaning life lived without regard to God, is in vain. Literally, it means empty, meaningless. It is a futile exercise. Solomon's invitation here is, listen, if you live your life without regard to God, your life is an empty, it'll be a wasted life. Now, let's just listen to what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2. Solomon said he was going to try living life under the sun. Try living life without regard to God. In chapter 2, he tells of the story that he, 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 he undertook all these great enterprises and projects. He built palaces, he built houses, he built vineyards, he built gardens, he acquired great possessions, he acquired many concubines. He had more silver and gold than all the kings before him. In fact, he, he writes in chapter 2, verse 9, So I became great, surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. That is to say, he built himself this incredible reputation, and he reached the top. He had it all. And just as an aside, maybe that's what some of us are longing for and living for in life. We want to reach the top. We want to have it all. We want to have glory. We want a great reputation. Well, listen to Solomon's conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. You can read the, the, the testimony of countless celebrities, countless people who have who've achieved so much in life, they say, I reached the top and I discovered it was empty. And this song of Solomon, this wisdom song, it is challenging us with regards to the question of what is it that you're living for? I heard a, a minister here in London, Rico Tice at All Souls, share this story that Following his parents' death, he had to clear out the home. And it's a painful exercise because all that was so valuable and precious to his parents, he was having to take to the skip or the charity shop. Gifts that had been given to them on their wedding day, gifts that he'd given to them on their anniversaries at Christmas times and their birthdays. All these photo albums, their Christmas decorations, their trophies, their achievements. And as he looked at all that he was dealing with, he, he found himself asking the question, what is the point of all of this? What is the point of, of this life? And it hit him with overwhelming clarity that none of this makes sense unless 
Our lives are part of a bigger story. And that's what Christianity teaches us, is that our lives are part of a bigger story. Let me just summarize it like this. The Bible teaches from the beginning that God is good, and our good God created this very good world. He made us in His image. He endowed us with dignity, value, and worth. He gave us a capacity to create, to love, to be loved. He placed us in paradise. But our first parents wanted to live life their own way. They rebelled. They rejected God's rule. And so sin and curse and and a relationship that was with God in perfect harmony was now broken. But God didn't stand back and do nothing. Our good and our gracious God, he made a promise and he kept his promise. He said he would send his son to save. And his son came. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. His son lived the perfect life. His son died on the cross, shedding his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. The cross in Christianity, the death of Christ, it's, took place on Good Friday. And the reason it's good is because anybody who puts their faith and trust in Christ will receive the forgiveness of sins. But, but, but you know, that's not the end of the story. Three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. And listen, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. That means that the Christian no longer needs to live in fear of death because if you're united to Christ, you too will rise from the dead. You will live forevermore. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a chapter all about the resurrection of Jesus, ends it with this verse. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that all that we do in the Lord is not in vain. It is purpose, it is meaning, it has eternal significance. The resurrection of Jesus isn't the end of the story. The book of Revelation tells us the end of the story. Christ is going to come again. He's going to establish the new creation. There'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more disease. We will live with God in perfect relationship as we were meant to. But do you know what it also says in Revelation chapter 14? Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 says this, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They'll rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Anything done in this life, in dependence of the Lord and for his glory, will go with you until eternity. The resurrection of Jesus means that your life here and now in Christ is truly significant, meaningful. It's not lived in vain. It's not wasted. You may be here and you're listening on and you're a bit skeptic. Just can I point out this, 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 this verse doesn't say, unless the Lord builds, nothing will happen in your life. Unless the Lord watches, you'll not be safe. Rather, what Solomon says to us is this, building your life minus dependence upon God 
ultimately equals emptiness. So that's the first challenge of this song that God's people were meant to sing as they journeyed through life. Here's wisdom. What are you living for? Are you living in dependence upon the Lord and for his glory? Or are you living for yourself, depending on yourself? Well, we come to the second verse and we come to our second heading. Without the Lord, we worry and we wear out in vain. Look look at what it says in in verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, do you know what I love about verse 2? Is that in many ways it functions as a test to see whether or not you really believe verse 1. Do you really have the Lord at the center of your life? Is God really at the center of your pursuits? So, 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 you know, here we are in church, Sunday, and it's easy to have God at the center of all that we're doing. But what about Monday through Saturday? Is God at the center of our lives? Is God at the center of our pursuits? Well, here's Solomon's test. What does your lifestyle reveal? What does your lifestyle communicate? Does it communicate that God is at the center of your life and you're living in conscious dependence upon him, that he is the worker who's building your life, he's the worker who you're trusting in to keep you safe? Well, that's why he says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Let me just say this. Solomon's not rejecting the idea of hard work. But what he is saying, is he's rejecting the restless, frenzied activity of someone who does not, will not, live in dependence upon their God. They think it's all down to them. They think they have to control their lives. They have to keep themselves safe. So what do they do? They they, they burn the candle at both ends. They become a workaholic. Instead of working nine to five, they work five to nine. They live a life of anxious toil. Question, what what does your lifestyle look like? Is it one where, where God is at the center and you live in complete dependence upon God, your creator, your sustainer, and the one who offers you salvation in his son? Well, here's a test, the second test. How do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night? Look at the end of verse 2. For God gives his, to his beloved sleep. The person who, who trusts and believes and rests in who God is and what God has done, they can put their head on the pillow and know that God is in control. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have worries and anxieties. It means that you'll take your worries and your anxieties and you'll leave them with God and you'll go to bed and you'll enjoy the sleep that he gives you. God delights to give those he loves sleep. And yet, those who, who, are, who are living a life without God, living a life independence on self, those who have to get up early, stay up late, toil, fret throughout the day, they come home, they've got all the worries and the anxieties of the world, and they can't sleep. Now, don't get me wrong, let me nuance that. Some of you might not be able to sleep right now. Enrique and Marianne, having young kids doesn't help sleep, right? Or some of you have a medical condition, or you're grown older, and, and you just don't sleep as well. But the point that Solomon's making is this. If you live with your trust and your confidence in God, you've got every incentive to lay your head in the pillow and enjoy sleep. 
The sad reality is some of us run ourselves ragged with worry and anxiety. All the while, God's waiting for us just to run to him, give him our worries and anxieties, and trust in him. This is so beautiful, right? In verse 2, that, word, that verse that says, for he gives his beloved sleep, that could be translated another way. It says this, he provides for those he loves as he grants them sleep. Which is to say, whilst we sleep, God works for us. Now, now, now this is such good news. While you lay your head in the pillow, he performs work on your behalf for you. More work than you could ever perform whilst you were awake. What a, what a wonderful reason to lay your head on the pillow. God will build your life. He'll build your work. He'll build your family. He'll take care of you. He'll keep you secure eternally, perfectly, gloriously. Such good news. Our Father in heaven loves us, that he delights to give us sleep so that he can perform his good work. In Psalm 121, in our Song of a Sense, it says, God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always attentive and careful to his people. Just one, one last application about this verse is this. Every night you lay your head to the pillow if you are living your life in dependence on God. Lay your head in the pillow knowing this, he loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. There's nothing you've done that will make him love you any less. He gives his beloved sleep. Ever wondered, why is it that we spend a third of our lives asleep? It's God's way of saying, you're not God. You're not in control. You become most childlike when you're asleep, totally dependent, totally weak. Sleep is God's gift to those he loves. Trust me, God says to us, I'm in control and I love you. Rest in my love. So, so without the Lord, we work and watch in vain. Without the Lord, we worry and we wear out in vain. And then we come to the final verses, verses 3 to 5. With the Lord, children are both a blessing and a protection. Now, this, this, is, this is great. He's just been saying, so in terms of building your life, whatever you're working at life, in terms of your security in life, in terms of your sleep life, your working life, are you trusting in God? Do you see that God's in control? Now, if, anyone's, if, you, if you're here and you're a parent, you know that there's one area where you can really struggle with worry and anxiety. Your children. The problem is, is that it's so easy for parents to see their children as a burden at times and not as a blessing. Solomon says here, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God gifts people, parents, children. They're a reward, they're his gracious gift. Now, the danger is we, we can take a gift from God and we can turn it into an idol and, and it's so easy as parents to turn your kid into an idol, make them the be-all and end-all. 
God doesn't want to see you to take your children and make them an idol. God wants you to see your children as a blessing that he has gifted you with to enjoy. And, and, and we can, Marianne, can I say this as, as you raise your children? Not only see them as a blessing, tell them that they are a blessing. Tell them that they're precious to you. Remind them that God created them He's gifted them to you, and that your joy is to raise them and train them. You know, the, the, the reality here is, is, is that children are a blessing, but they don't ultimately belong to us. They belong to God. He knit them together in their mother's womb. He made them wonderfully and fearfully in his image. He's the one who has ultimate sovereign control over their lives. He's the author and the perfecter of everyone's faith. He's the one who can take care. And so here's the challenge. If you're going to live with the Lord, you've got to see your children as a blessing, not a burden. You've got to entrust your children to the Lord. They belong to him and not to you. Your privilege is you get to raise them. You get to train them. And, and this is really challenging because children are always watching, always learning, and they can see if their parents believe what they say they believe. They read your lifestyle. They see you in your most vulnerable and at your wit's end. They see you in your best moments and in your worst moments. And it's your privilege to, to raise them. Now, this is what he says. Children are a blessing. And then he says, children are protection. Verses 4 and 5, he speaks about them like Weapons of warfare, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior, the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who's got a quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And the, and the picture here is, is when the parents are old and they're at their most vulnerable, their children stand behind them to protect them. And, and by the way, see if you're here and everyone here is a child. You need to know that God gave you to be a blessing to your parents and you need to rise up and love them and protect them. Show them that they matter to you. Bless them as they have blessed you. Every child, that, that's what's incumbent upon us. That's God's plans and purposes is that children will rise up and they will be a, both a blessing and a protection for their parents. Now, Enrique and Marianne, one of the ways that you train your children to be these great blessings, these weapons of warfare, is that you train them in the ways of the Lord. You train them in the, the way of the gospel. You tell them this good news of what God has done for them in Christ. You tell them that their story is part of a much bigger story. Now, Marianne and, and Enrique, you need to know this, that you're called to be faithful to the promises that you've made this morning, but listen, ultimately... The one who promises to be faithful is your God. And in your weak moments and in the tough moments, he who's blessed you with kids is also willing, generous to give you what you need as you seek to raise your kids. And church family, we are one of the means. Covenant community, we can pray, we can support, we can encourage, we can love. 
We can corroborate the lifestyle of a believer living a life in dependence upon God. Church family, the children of this church are watching you. And so, church family, we can love, we can invest, we play our part. Children are a blessing, they rise up to be a protection. But in it all, God is the one who is faithful because they belong to him. And so as I wrap this up, this is a song of wisdom. It's a song that was sung by the people of God as they went about their daily lives. What a timely song for us to sing today on the day we see Isabel baptized. The question it all begs of us is, what are we living for? Are we living our lives in dependence upon God for his glory? Are we living our lives knowing the good news is that we can trust in the God who has given us his son? We can be forgiven. We can know eternal life. Our, Our life's deeds done in the Lord will never be in vain. They'll last forevermore. And do we see the children of our church and the families as a blessing who ultimately belong to the Lord? Enrique Marianne, you don't need to worry and fret over your children ultimately. He's got them in his hands. And today you promised that you trust him, you love him, and you'll do your part, but he'll do his part. Let's pray. Our glorious God, there is no one like you. The way that you've made us and created us to depend upon you, even giving us the gift of sleep to remind us that we are not you, we cannot live independently of you. The way that you've given us a gift of sleep to remind us that you love us, that we can rest in your finished work of your son, knowing that all that he has done, all that he has accomplished, if we trust and believe in him, is ours. Thank you for the fact that the, the blessings that you give to us, promises that you make with us, are promises for us and for our children. Lord, we do thank you for the children of our church. We thank you for the way in which they are your gift to us. We pray that even as a church family, we would love them, shepherd them, invest in them, but ultimately entrust them to you. And we would see the children of this church grow up to be a blessing to this world. And Lord, we, we find the challenge that we are all children. And we pray that we'd be challenged to think about how we live our lives Yes, as children of our parents, our earthly parents, but all the more how we live our lives in light of the fact that we are children of you, the Most High God, adopted into your family through your Son. Lord God, we we thank you that as part of this family, we get to rejoice with those who rejoice. And this morning, we rejoice in the good news of Frederick and Iona, and we rejoice in the prospect of an upcoming marriage. We thank you, Lord, for their love for one another. We pray for them in these days of engagement. We pray that, Lord, you would bless them in all their preparations. We pray, too, that, Lord, above all, you would deepen their love for you, that as their marriage, God will one day showcase the mystery of the gospel, of how Christ is one with his bride, the church. Lord, even in their preparation, that you would be shaping shaping and fashioning them preparing them to make them one, that they might be a a blessing together. 
Lord, this morning we are so conscious that as Christmas approaches in our country, there are many kids, families in our country who are here from the Ukraine. And they're separated from loved ones. They're separated from their homeland. Some of them have lost fathers, brothers. Some parents and grandparents have lost sons and grandsons. And Lord, we mourn with those who mourn. We see the darkness and we see the pain and the suffering. And we can only, as your people, come and bring it to you and pray, O God, that you, the, the sovereign God of the universe, the maker of all things, would be powerfully at work. Well, we thank you that we, your people, can bring this to you, knowing that you're the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God, and that you can work even in the darkest and in the most difficult situations for your glory and for people's good. Lord, we pray that you would bless the, the, the gifts that we as a church will, will send to the Barnabas Fund to help, and we pray that that money may be used to, to reach those in great need. Lord, we do pray that you would bring an end to this conflict. We long for the day of the new creation, when there will be no more sin and no more suffering, where there will be no more death. And so we pray that in the here and now, that all that we do in the name of the Lord would count in the light of all eternity. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.